My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script. I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it. I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot. I even got a famous classic case of writer's block. Get it out of my head. Get it out of my head. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me for our annual Oscar episode is, oh, I bumped my nose, Brian Pope and Mike Musa. Say hello, you guys. Hey, hello, you guys. <laughs> Good to be back. It is. <laughs> I have a student in my Saturday class. He said, I hope you fix your equipment because the Oscar podcast is coming up. So at least one person is <laughs> is really looking forward to this episode. Yay, so we're Jonathan. doing it for you, whoever you there are. There you go. Woo-hoo. I also want to give a sh- quick shout out before I forget to Paul A. Rose, who also provided some uh, PDFs of screenplay so I didn't have to go searching for them. I appreciate that, Paul. What we do on this podcast every year is we sit around this table just like you guys sit around your breakfast table and just kind of bitch about <laughs> about the nominees so we've got yes i use the b word just don't use the f word we're all good all right. um so so uh we talk about the best adapted nominee best adapted screenplay nominees and the best screenplay nominees and we look at them not in terms of reading every single script, okay? We are all really busy, so we, we don't do that. But we evaluate them the way that they are evaluated for the Oscars in terms of story and characters and originality of, of execution. And so that's how we'll be talking about it today. That said, we also uh, will be reading small excerpts from the actual screenplays for those that I actually have, just to sort of celebrate the style. Like, even if we don't like that project, there's something to be said for being nominated to have sold something even, and everybody deserves that kind of respect. So... Oh, are you guys ready? I'm very ready. I'm yeah. This was a great year in film, I think. Oh, wow. Are you serious? Oh, God. First thing we're going to fight about. I'm just going to sit back and watch the fireworks. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, well, uh, I haven't really properly introduced you guys either. Um, I'm going to have you introduce yourself this year. So, um, uh, Mike, let's start with you. You are a writer. You You are many things. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, wow. I don't think we've done this since we've started. I but, know. I uh, always introduce you. Yeah, but you as usual, I'm completely unprepared. Uh, yeah. I'm a uh, writer still working um, on screenplays. Uh, I have taken Pilar's on-the-page on the classes. They are fantastic. If you ever think <laughs> twice, please do it. She's a friend, but she is an amazing teacher. Um, and uh, I'm an actor, but I mean, I'm kind of a former actor. I haven't done it in quite a while. I haven't got back out there. And and there you go. Right now I'm working with a horse racing stable here in Southern California. And and there you have it. There are some stories there. There are. There's a lot of think a lot of curiosity about that world, a lot of controversy within that world world. You're the person to write that story. I've been waiting for that story, you know. You know, the problem is that it's all about the horses and the horses don't speak so much. Oh. 
but you can speak for the horses. <laughs> What's Mr. Ed doing now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brian Pope is the reason why this all started, because Brian Pope was talking about Oscars long before I had a podcast. So, Brian, tell everybody about yourself. Well, I started this thing called the Pope's Picks uh, back when I was in college, which I don't even know I want to say when, but let's just say it's 35 years ago. And uh, I've basically been doing a version of that expanded uh, to varying degrees in all that time. So, um, and I'm a, a re- big fan of movies and uh, love them and, and, and feel you know, strongly about them, whether I know all the terminology, I'll leave that to Pilar, but uh, I feel uh, it's my passion for the movies that ultimately led me to this because Lord knows there's no money in it. Um, <laughs> but I also do some acting, some directing, some writing, some producing, mostly theater because that's my thing. Uh, and that's my story. What What are you in that is coming up? Because I know you're always rehearsing for something or planning for a play. Um, I, I just finished shooting uh, principal photography in a short film. So that's what I'm work- That's the most recent thing. Uh, I have nothing in the works at the moment, but who knows? How was it? Some, did somebody else write it? Uh, a friend of mine wrote it, wrote it and directed it. It's kind of a horror, body horror, science fiction-y thing. Do you get killed? Um, I don't want to spoil it. Someone might want to watch it. <sighs> I want to watch Brian Pope get killed. Mike, have you seen it? Uh, no, he just filmed it. He just filmed it. All right. Will you invite us to the screening? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Super cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, Brian Pope and Mike Musa. We are going to get right to it. Brian, I love the way you read. Would you Aww. please read the list of adapted screenplays? Mm. Well, yeah, let's start with adapted. Okay. Let's start with adapted? Okay. We always do because, I don't know, I think they start first with that, so... Read the list of adapted screenplays and the people who wrote them. Absolutely. The nominees for Best Adapted Screenplay are Stephen Zalian for The Irishman, Taika Waititi for Jojo Rabbit, Todd Phillips and Scott Silver for Joker, Greta Gerwig for Little Women, and Anthony McCartan for The Two Popes. All right. Okay, Mike, let's just go right to you. What was your fave? Uh, my favorite screenplay was Little Women. Interesting. Out of all of the screenplays in Adapted, um, granted, <laughs> it seems like year in, year out, I come with this same sort of excuse, but like Little Women's been done before. It's been done mm-hmm. a few times. Yep. I, don't, I yep. didn't count how many times it's been done. So there are other adaptations to look at and maybe make corrections from. I thought as far... the. The only quibble I had with it is I did get a little lost in its nonlinear storytelling at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, no blame on the director there, but that somewhere along the lines I, was, I got a little bit lost, and I did see this in a movie theater. It's nice when you can see them at home, so you can just make sure you're on the same page. Uh, but other than that, I thought the writing was very crisp. I cared about these characters. I, I thought everything about the storytelling was, was wonderful, and it didn't feel like it was lagging in any way, uh, and it was direct. And there you go. I loved the nonlinear storytelling too. That the I was able to follow it. I could see how you know from time to time I was watching it with Rita, and she was like, "Wait, wait, wait," mm-hmm. you know. But but I just it it is so hard to freshen up an adaptation of something that's been done over and over and over again. And what was so wonderful about this is there is a trick at the end. The reason there are two timelines is because when real life collides with the fictional life, we see that 
she changed fictional life mm-hmm. to reflect a commercial sensibility of the time. And it's a reminder that that real life is not verbatim what that fictional life is. And to make you think about women's choices back then. And done with such a light hand. It was fabulous. I loved it. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I liked the going back and forth and kind of starting at the end and going to the beginning because the... I was suddenly aware of all these resonances and echoes mm-hmm. from you know one time to the other, which you know I saw the last version I saw I think was the one back in the nineties. I think it was Gillian Armstrong did it with Winona Ryder and Christian Bale, and I don't remember being nearly as involved with that one. And somehow this one just grabbed me. I mean, I'm not the you know the person that they're targeting. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of times where I actually gasped in a theater, a public theater, because I was just so surprised and so involved with the characters. And to me, that's like, I didn't think I would be doing that while I sat here. And uh, I thought it was quite, quite brilliantly done. I, I love that choice that uh, Gerwig made. Well, before we get to what Brian's very favorite is, unless that was his, um, let's do a little reading from Little Women. Just it should be at the top of one of the pages. I tried to be more organized this year, you guys. No, you did well. Thank you. And this is from the very first page. Um, Brian, would you read the scene direction? Sure. And I'll read Joe. Interior, New York, Publishing Office, 1868. Joe March, our heroine, hesitates. In the half-light of a dim hallway, she exhales and prepares, her head bowed like a boxer about to go into the ring. She puts her hand on the doorknob, a pause, and then... She opens it onto a disorderly room. It is full of men. Some sit with their feet up on the desks, higher than their hats, which they do not remove for her. They smoke and read, hardly noticing that she has walked in. Joe walks through the desks, looking for one in particular. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's it. Or at least what, mm-hmm. what we're reading from it. And look, look. Half light of a dim hallway, she exhales and prepares, her head bowed like a boxer about to go into the ring. I mean... Come on, that's some great writing right there. And it, it helps guide the actor, right, without micromanaging it. There is a style, there is a voice. I love, too, in that second paragraph, when she opens the door onto a disorderly room, right? And then in the second paragraph, it is full of men. That's all it mm-hmm. is, right? And it just, it, it makes you feel what she feels as she goes in and whoosh, there they are. It's really, really nicely done. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yes. So, Brian, what was was your fave? Well, I'm kind of glad you went with Mr. Musa first because it felt a bit like a Sophie's Choice for me because there were two films that I felt very passionate about. One of them was Little Women. Uh And now I can talk about the other one. Which was? Which was Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, baby. Taika Waititi. Um, It is such a tricky thing to make fun of this subject both make it funny and moving and, you know, involving. And uh, I thought this script pulled that off like I didn't expect it to. I, I, I was afraid the goofiness would be too goofy and would undercut the seriousness of a Nazi occupation. But never in this movie, despite the buffoonish, you know, Nazi characters, they always had this undercurrent uh, of menace, legitimate menace, and uh, and it was absolutely necessary. So I, I thought tone tone wise, Waititi pulled this one off spectacularly. I totally agree. It was such a this this one 
For me, I was like, I had the same choice. I'm like, which is my favorite, Jojo Rabbit or Little, Little Women? Jojo Rabbit, I think, was my favorite movie of the year. But Little Women was my favorite adaptation of mm-hmm. the screenplay, just because of, as far as adaptations go. But yeah, the wonderful thing about Jojo Rabbit, because it is hard, if you're going to have like Hitler as your imaginary friend, <laughs> right? When he talks, he talks like a little boy. Mm. And you'll actually hear that in the excerpt that we do. So you know very well that that Hitler is just, it's, it's this kid coming up with this fictional friend and what he thinks he's supposed to be. Exactly. You know, and then, of course, learns a lot along the way. Did yeah. you like Jojo Rabbit? I, I did. I enjoyed Jojo Rabbit quite a bit. The only reason it wouldn't be my favorite is I felt like the, the story revolving his mother, the Scarlett Johansson character, mm-hmm. felt a little shortchanged on that one. Did but you? there was there was a lot of characters he was touching on. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's, that's just one of those things. Like I'm like, I'm, I certainly agree with you guys. I thought it was a great movie. I always think it's interesting. Like There's a moment where you, you, you kind of plan ahead in your mind like oh this is going to happen and then when it happens you're still like oh, that's a good movie because it it got your defenses down to a certain point where you weren't expecting it within the screenplay that Agreed. is some good storytelling right yeah. there oh yeah should we read and wonderfully revealed that moment you're talking about yes. wonderfully revealed yes i thought beautifully revealed okay so it's on the second page this is jojo rabbit by taika watiti right he also wrote uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which if you guys have never seen it if, and out there, watch it. It is a reality show about vampires that all live together. You guys have seen it, right? No, but it's on my Netflix. Oh, too. my but God. I don't know. Did he? Ba- I mean, it's based off the movie. I don't know. Did he write the movie? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's it's the it. movie that I'm talking about. Okay, because they did the television show then as well. Gotcha. It's in your Netflix queue. It is. Brian, does that mean that your little disc is going to come in the mail? At some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian does not have streaming, oh, I, no, and he I, still I, gets discs. Correction, I got one month free streaming so I could watch The Two Popes. Okay, are I'm, you into it? I'm working on it, I'm, I'm testing it, and we'll see how I feel after a month. <laughs> this streaming thing is a good thing, Brian. <laughs> I recommend it. Well, if you say so, Okay, Bilar. all right. We were like, they even send discs? Okay, so Jojo Rabbit, um, let's see. Um, Mike, would you be Adolf? Sweet. Uh, Brian, would you be Jojo? Of course. And I'll read the scene direction. Interior Jojo's house, Jojo's bedroom day. Back in his bedroom, the door firmly shut. Great! Now she's got two knives. I know. How are you going to chop up stuff? I don't know. And she's still up there. You're the expert. You think of something. Hitler lights another cigarette, offers it to Jojo. I don't smoke. Stop offering me effing cigarettes. I'm ten. Sorry, sorry. This is stressful. <laughs> so, like, if you if you look at this dialogue, right, when Adolf says, how are you going to chop up stuff, <laughs> sure. right? That's so what a little kid would say, right? And that's when you go, oh, okay. Now, this is just in his, in his mind. You know, cannot be taken seriously. Yeah, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. So since we, I think that we're all, we all love these, these top two. Those would be my two favorites. Here we go. What's left of adapted screenplay is The Irishman, Joker, and The Two Popes. Let's go for least favorite in adapted screenplay. Among them, what was your least favorite? 
You looking at me? Yeah, why not? Oh. Um, I would say I wasn't a big fan of Joker. I may be in the minority, but I, I found it uh, its tone rather confusing. I, it didn't seem to know whether it was supposed to be a comic book or a gritty, realistic movie. And in times, it just puzzled me, and I wasn't quite sure what to think of it. Um, I mean, that's not to under you know undersell the power of Joaquin Phoenix's performance it's terrific the music's fantastic those are two nominations that I think are well deserved screenplay not so much you know you're gonna be surprised Pat hated this movie okay hated it hated it I liked it Mm -hmm. and I didn't love it you know I wasn't like oh my god it's the best thing right but I was so pleasant I came in thinking I wouldn't like it and I really liked I like origin stories that really try to take into account everything that we've ever learned about a character and have their explanation for it. And I thought that did a really good job. I thought there was a really interesting arc there. And I thought it's, you know, discussion about economic classes, you know, haves and have nots was working. I didn't feel it was the, you know, what everybody had said about it, that, that to me, I, I was looking for that and, and it wasn't, it wasn't how I perceived it. I felt it was extremely well-structured, too. Like, guys, if you want to just look at it in terms of what happens at the half-hour mark, that's mm. the big incident that that propels him into action. At the midpoint, he finds out something very... He finds out a secret about himself that makes him take a new action. And at the end of Act 2, he finds out the truth about that secret. And Act 3, he goes mm. ballistic because of all these things. So it's mm. all structurally there, mm. just as far as looking at structure. But well, I can understand why some people didn't like it. Well, I guess, I, to your point, I thought one of the things I had a problem with is I felt like they were stacking the deck. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, without exception, was cruel to this person. And if we're in a real world, there are going to be some people who aren't. And I felt like basically we were pounding on this man so we could have this break. And we had no ver- variety in that regard. And it felt unrealistic. Okay. It felt, but you know, again, this could also be taking place mostly in his mind. That was another thing that somewhat confused me. That, that bothered Pat yeah. in a big way. Yeah. What do, did you like it, Mike? I, my, again, it's a small quibble, but I couldn't help but think that somebody was like, we, got to keep the comic book side in this a little bit more instead i felt like they couldn't make up their mind a little bit like they kept leaning one way or the other tried to split the middle um and and i think that that was why i didn't enjoy it more should we read from it sure absolutely right okay it is i think yeah you guys found it so this is Joker by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver. This is page seven. I'll be the woman on the bus. Um, let's see. Uh, Mike, would you be the Joker? And sure. <laughs> am, I, am I typecasting? And uh, Brian, would you be the suit director? Absolutely. Joker sees the sad-eyed girl staring straight back at him. He doesn't know where to look, feeling self-conscious and small. He gets back into, quote, character, unquote, smiling like a clown and covers his face with his hands, starts playing with the peekaboo game with her. The girl stares back at him for a moment, then giggles. Can you please stop bothering my kid? I wasn't bothering her. I was... Just stop. And suddenly Joker starts to laugh, loud. (laughs) He covers his mouth, trying to hide it, shakes his head, laughter pausing for a moment, but then it comes on stronger. His eyes are sad. It actually looks like the laughter causes him pain. Mm. Great, great. That's a great description of that. Yes, it does. And and 
you know, because it's such a great description, an actor can play that, right? How do you play laughing and crying at the same time? Um, let's go to, I'm curious. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Mike, what was your least favorite among I, these? I'm going to go with the two popes for my least favorite. Yeah. I, uh, I, the whole movie, and you've got two just fantastic actors. And I just felt like it was a history lesson and like sort of like something I would hear on the, or see on the History Channel. And I, I didn't feel a lot of, I didn't feel a lot of pressure in this movie. Mm. And and maybe I just missed it. Maybe I caught myself on an off night. But I was like, I just feel like it's two guys like, well, you know how it goes. I didn't want you to do it, but now you're going to do it. And here's how I'm going to pressure you to do it, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> well, let me explain why you're going to do it. Okay. Can we go back and look at my history and why I shouldn't do it? Sure, let's do that. Uh, well, okay, I got one up. Uh, let's look at my history now and show you why I shouldn't do it. Uh, oh, okay. And really to me, and I, I mean this, this isn't being snarky, my favorite part of the film is the credits when they're watching soccer. I'm like, it was by far my favorite. And I'm like, huh, it's because they look like, it's, it's interesting as a scene to see two people of that kind of power just kind of like joking and having fun over a sporting event. Yeah. That to me, I'm like, well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting scene. It's too bad it's now. But that, I mean, that was my least favorite. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it though, because it felt like a play. It's adapted from a play. It, mm-hmm. it reads like mm. a play. It looks like a play. And, you know, if you are going to adapt a play, adapt it, you know, yep. don't just put the play on screen they tried i think as i get deep in there's there's flashbacks and things like that but it still has that you know two dudes talking in a room thing yeah yep my dinner with the pontiffs (laughs) so let's go to read that because it's i've i picked the moment in it that did make me smile um, and this is The Two Popes, Anthony McCartan, page 55. Uh, okay, so, Brian, would you be Ratzinger? Sure. And um, would you be Bergoglio, Mike? Yes. All right, go for it. He lived a very tragic life, you know. You, you know the album, it was recorded at a world-famous studio in London. I was told I should feel honored because the Beatles were there. You, you know the Beatles? Yes, I, I know who they are. Oh, of course you do. Eleanor Rigby. Who? Eleanor Rigby. I don't know. Yellow Submarine. Sorry, I, I, I don't know. The album, Yellow Submarine. Oh, that's silly, Yellow Submarine. Uh, that's very funny. Ratzinger starts playing the Schumann something. Anyway, the recording was done in London at, I can't remember the name of the place, a church or something. Abbey Road? Yes, an abbey. Very good, you guys. Sorry. Uh, when I said the Schumann something, it's because I'm not sure how to pronounce Traumerei. Trummer, trummer. It's trummer, I. Trummer, I. No idea. Yeah, you know, I need a little culture. That was that was very well done, you guys. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, but you can you can, you know, that's a nice moment. I wish there was a little bit more of that, mm-hmm. right? It, it would be yeah. a wonderful play. Yeah, but it, you know, and I think the director did the best he could with it to open it up and make it more visually interesting. But at the end of the day, it was a little meh. Yeah, meh. Okay, all right. I'm going to tell you the one I. I was my least favorite. Uh, okay. Please don't write me. It is The Irishman by Stephen Zalian. Okay, so The Irishman. I love Stephen Zalian. Schindler's List. Moneyball, one of my favorite movies ever. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, 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 it, it felt like 
I'm going to write a Scorsese movie. I'm going to take all the things that he's ever done and put it in one movie. And, you know, it got to the point where I was like, I think I could just check my email because it's just telling me what's going on. And then, you know, if I, if, and if I want to check in with De Niro, oh, look, he's still making the same choices in the same way. You know, it's, it's not even watching a character develop and have to get to a certain point where he has to make this really pivotal choice. It's just, it's just a bunch of dudes doing Scorsese-ish things. I just, like, I don't get this worshipping at the feet of, you know, this particular movie. I agree. I mean, and Robert De Niro's character is not particularly interesting, as you say. He doesn't really change. The supporting characters are much more interesting to watch. And, and uh, Unless you're a woman. Unless you're a woman. Well, yes. <laughs> Which With I your am, four lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure she got paid well for them. Well, uh, I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe. Yeah. I, but I mean, I, I see your point. I was very resistant to this movie because it's like, do I want to see another gangster picture by Scorsese? But I ultimately liked it, though not passionately, because it was about gangsters at the end of their lives. And it shows kind of the ultimate, you know, end of these people, you know, either violent or they just happen to be well-liked and pass, you know, peacefully in their beds. And I thought that was an interesting, almost elegy elegy, uh, for this. And I'm hoping it's the last gangster film that Scorsese makes. Uh, No, it won't be. It won't be. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what else would he do? You know, I, I don't know. I think, I think, uh, okay, I'm going to shut up. Um, Mike, what do you think of The Irishman? Well, I, I will at least mention something in the screen, screenwriting that I liked out of The Irishman, which was at least unique. And, and actually, Brian and I, when we talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, it was the fact that they talk about how certain gangsters come to an end in the middle. Like the, they're still alive and they're doing something, and then you see a very quick quip about like, and this person dies, da-da-da-da-da. Right, right, right. Which was different. Instead of like, it's just kind of interesting that you see them maybe in an action moment, stop, and then gives you sort of... Because that's what this movie, I think, ultimately is about, is all these people are gone in one way or another, and, and this was the history that they lived, and they're, they're out. Right, um, but still doesn't show you. It still doesn't Just show. tells you just about tells it. You. I yeah. mean, with, with this being such an epic film... It could have cut to their future demise. Sure. It's a little lazy just to constantly be telling us stuff. Oh, the one, like the one, like one of the parts that, like, I'm not, I uh, myself, I'm like, I don't understand why we're seeing this. Which was, he and Pesci are driving to the airport. They park. Yeah, let me have your glasses. Guy gives, guy gives, you know, De Niro gives Pesci his glasses. We watch him walk to the plane. We watch him in the plane. <laughs> right. We watch the plane take off. Right. We watch the plane land. We watch him get out of the plane into a car. Check the glove box. Okay, now I'm driving, and I'm like, why? Why did we have to see all of if that? If any unproduced writer wrote that, it would be cut out even before it gets to the producer, right? They, you know... Yeah, you're, you're right. It needed and, unless there was a like, unless there was a moment. Not that this should be much of a spoiler alert, but unless there was a moment where like De Niro broke down and cried in the plane or something, but he didn't. Or there was a payoff for those glasses yeah. or something. Yeah, because um, then we had to watch him come back, fly back, land back, <laughs> get out of the plane, get into the car. I need my glasses back. I get. I, that's why I'm just skeptical as to whether. Steven Zalian, like, I think his, his instincts are always so good. I'm Agreed. surprised at this particular thing as far as the screenplay goes and wondered how much was the screenplay or how much was stretched, 
like it was just used as a blueprint and more things were just added and added and added. I don't know. If, if I may, though. Yeah. Because I'd like to add a little foreshadowing of my own. Sure. I'm not so sure that the Irishman, the technology in the Irishman, yeah. wasn't a bit of a hindrance for me, which might bring us into a segue to our next category. What's our next? Oh, oh the original screenplay? Yeah, unless you had something to add. I well, was just I thought say, we should probably read. Uh, oh, yeah, The Irishman? Yes, oh, I bad. do have it. I, worked, I got that too fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can do it all over again, though, if you want oh, a segue. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, so we've got page one of The Irishman, and there's uh, some really interesting phrasing going on here. So, uh, okay, okay, Mike, you get to be frank. All right. Okay. I'm going to read the action lines. Go for it. I was a working guy. We drift into a rec room where more elderly men and women watch... Wait, <laughs> look, I screwed up my first thing. Here, do it again. Ahem, right. ahem. I can't... Be, I should just give this to Brian Pope. He's so good No, no, this, we're so. good. We're going to okay. get this. We're, right. we're going to be great. Okay. <clears throat> Go for it. I was a working guy. We drift into a rec room where more elderly men and women watch TV, play cards, stare off at nothing. A business agent for Teamster Local 107. Out of South Philadelphia. We approach a particular man sitting apart from the others in a wheelchair. He's about 80, better dressed than everyone else here. White dress shirt, cuffs monogrammed, FJS, dark slacks, aviator sunglasses. One of a thousand working stiffs. This is, what, this is who we've been looking for, Frank Sheeran, perhaps to kill him. But he pays no attention to us even as we come in close enough to see his gold watch encircled with diamonds and the distinctive ring made from a gold coin on a finger. I love the phrase, this is who we've been looking for, Frank Sheeran, perhaps to kill him. Yeah. That's cool. In, in you know... I usually ask my writers to stay away from we see, right? We mm-hmm. do this, we do that, right? And, and you know, this, this writer who, you know, has been around a lot, I will not quibble with his style, right? <laughs> um, but it, here, it definitely has a payoff because as we are winding our way around, we might be looking for this man to kill him and suddenly it makes our point of view as the audience mm-hmm. so much more interesting. You know, that like we've been the one stalking this guy. And uh, I thought that was really well phrased and made it all worth it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, what was your fancy segue into original screenplay? Something I, I about w- the technology? I was just saying that technology may have been a hindrance for me in The Irishman, which may bring us to original screenplay. Now, how does technology bring us to original screenplay? Well, I'll just jump out and say that I thought uh, that it may have hindered my appreciation of 1917 as well. Interesting. Okay, so so not your favorite, 1917. What was your favorite for original screenplay? My favorite is Marriage Story from a screenplay writing position. Really? Well, it's, I mean, Knives Out is probably my favorite movie out of this group Uh because it's fun. It's light, it's fun. But what I, and I'm going to try my best not to do any spoilers on Marriage Story. My favorite things about Marriage Story Uh is, and this is a lot of stuff that I appreciate just from my own point of view, in, in my own writing even. First of all, I love that it's balanced. It's a, they're not trying to necessarily blame one party or the other. And it's more of an examination of divorce. It is. It should be marriage. called divorce story. It should be. Or a lawyer story. But that being said, I love the fact that we, how we start with the letters is a great, in my opinion, it's a great introduction to both characters. And they have a payoff in the end with those letters. 
Um, and then I also, I thought most of this film was told, with the exception of, I think, the scene we have, uh, most of this film was written as a comedy that we just can't laugh at. In fact, I would even say the joke in that when Alan Alda is telling him a story and he's like, am I paying for this joke? is part of this whole movie. It's like, this, this is like one big bad joke for me, and I'm paying for all of it. Well, but, but that was my problem with it. Like, the, the problem you guys have with Joker with tonal inconsistency, I was like, all right, the lawyers live in one movie. These guys live in another movie. And it kept flip-flopping so much, I was like, all right, the comedy's super broad. Mm-hmm. The drama is, you know, super, you know, under and, and, and heavy in places. I, and yeah, it's all about a divorce. Like there was nothing. These those those two didn't even need to be in the movie. They like it, they were trying so hard to be civil, and mm-hmm. everybody else was freaking out around him. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't love it. One I the, just didn't love it. I mean, one of the things I know. liked about this movie in general, though, is that at some point, like at at any point in the movie, I think you kind of know what the objective is with the end. Yeah. Like either from a like either as just a fan or just in the world of itself. One of the things I liked about this film is I'm like, I'm not quite sure what we're rooting for anymore. Like towards the middle, I'm like, what are we still rooting for? And, and I liked that we landed where we landed. What did you, what did you think, Brian? Well, I mean, I feel similar to you. I think Pilar, I thought the the tone was a little off putting, but mainly I I liked it because it's a wonderful actor's piece. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really get to see a bunch of great actors, you know, perform to the top of their ability which I respect, um, it was just a hard movie to watch. I mean, I do feel like it was so balanced to the point where I almost wish I had someone to side with so I wouldn't feel torn like as a, as a viewer um, watching this movie. Um, so it was not a movie that I ever had the desire to see again. So I, that's, you know. I didn't feel that torn for them because they had... There were some class issues here. Mm. I mean, okay. He has... his his. The painful part is in order to deal with the custody issues, he has to constantly fly from New York to, to, to L.A. But fortunately, he just won a $500,000 genius grant. And her big thing is, I really want to be a, a movie star. And, you know, this is keeping me from the pilot where I am a star. You know, it's like about a movie star and a playwright that seem to have a lot of means. Mm-hmm. When she goes to hide, she goes to hide in her in her mother's house, who was also a TV star. You know, I mean, I can't feel that bad. This isn't no. what people go through. This, you know, there's this, oh, this is so expensive. Well, thank God your half a million dollars can, can <laughs> support it. You know, I mean, I, if they are going to go into into what happens to mm-hmm. people, I wish that they'd grounded the characters into something that, like, a general audience would go, like, yeah, that reminds mm-hmm. me of me or my friend. I just I felt it was a little privilegey. No, that's the a very it's a very good point, um, and I, I agree. I agree. It, it is hard to totally invest in them because they are kind of the elite, if you will. Yeah, but they but they're so pretty. They are. <laughs> I would give him that. I'm in a ranty mood tonight. <laughs> let's let's read Marriage Story because it did impact a lot of people in a positive way, and we got to give it that. And um, and it celebrates the musical company at the end. So if you really want to see a, a you know a great story, see Company. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the end, when he sings that story, right? 
Where is it? Uh, it's like you guys have it, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I got it. It's like the third to the last page. Okay. It's so balanced that both of them sing in this movie. They do. That's what I thought was They both sing fun. from Company at the end. Mm -hmm. Did no. you guys ever do Company? No. No? I'm not really a musical theater guy. Really? No. I could see you being in musical theater. I've been in. That's just not my It's not your jam? I didn't do Company, no. no I did songs from Company. You'd be good as Bobby, I think. <laughs> Once upon a time, maybe. No, no, you would. Why can't I find it? Here. Would you like, why don't you, you take There it is. I got it, got it, got it. Okay. Uh, well, because there's a girl in it, I'm going to have to play that girl. But, right. but with apologies to everybody. So this is Marriage Story by Noah Baumbach, page 51. Where are you staying? Oh, um, <clears throat> I hadn't, uh, I, guess, I guess I'll... Um... He puts on his jacket and leaves the room. There's a new hotel over on Highland that's supposedly not too expensive and pretty nice. Oh, okay. I'll check it out. Again, that's great about the MacArthur. Charlie reappears, clutching his bag. They half hug strangely, he holding his bag in one hand, she holding the legal envelope. He heads for the door. Charlie? Yeah? Nicole hands him the envelope with the divorce papers. Thanks. Charlie. Charlie flips off all the lights in the room, leaving Nicole in darkness. <laughs> sorry, I stepped on your... It's all I'm good. Sorry. It's all good. Scene directions, your thing. It's oh, I'm so sorry. So uh, that last line, Charlie flips off all the lights in the room, leaving Nicole in darkness, was really, really good. Yeah. And, and the awkwardness of this is really well, well written, well expressed on the page. Oh, in, in an earlier kitchen scene, like right before this, um, it's one of my favorite lines because her sister has pie and she's, tr she's very nervously dealing with this. Again, like a broader comedy thing. And his line of somehow the pie makes this worse. I'm like, it's hilarious. <laughs> it is a, it's a really good example, that scene too, of, of using that device. Like she can only talk through the pie, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and so it has that crosstalk feeling uh yeah okay as we talk about it i like it more okay well it, you got the and this film affect me in that i took like you talk about tonal like i took that the comedy was being used so that the drama would hit harder that's mm -hmm. how i took it instead of seeing it as two different things i'm like no they're they're trying to keep this light and fluffy and mm -hmm. then they're gonna hit and me they're gonna, and they do and they did did you cry no. Ah, I don't believe you. Okay, so original screenplay. Brian, what was your favorite? This was actually a pretty easy choice. I loved Parasite. Yeah. Loved it. Um, it probably is my favorite film this year. To me, it was one of those movies that just kept surprising me as it went along. And, uh, and I just, you know, I didn't know where it was going to go from sometimes one scene to the next. And uh, it just, but it got under my skin. It was like one of those movies that at the end, I wasn't entirely sure if I liked it, but it's one of those movies that stayed with me. And uh, I think it's just a really a tribute to really sophisticated structure and writing and characters that I came to really care about because it's, it's basically a class struggle where throughout the movie, our loyalties, if you will, keep shifting from one class to the other, you know, because each side makes cruel unfeeling choices and and nice choices and so you keep finding your your you know you side with different people as the movie progresses and uh, it's a wonderful feeling to just you know not feel tethered 
to any one character. It's truly an ensemble piece, and it's I don't know. It's yeah. my it's my favorite movie. It was I, I love how you don't know where it's going either. You just don't. You can't see ahead, and when it takes a turn, it really does. Also, I mean. Well, we, it's it's very hard to talk about it without yeah, giving spoilers. But it is, yes, it's it's see this movie. Yes, and also like just just the dynamic of the family, you know, the naturalism of the family, and how you know they have this one need, and then they help each other, and then it gets deeper and deeper. It's really really well done. Did you like? Did you like Parasite? I thought it was okay. It ah, didn't do much for me. Really? Didn't do much for me. Didn't root for anybody in this film. Huh. Interesting. Did you see it on a screen or did you see it in the theater? I saw it at home. You know, okay. So, no, it wouldn't make No, you don't think? No. Okay. Because it's like one of those things, like, you can't turn away for even a second. I could turn away <laughs> for plenty of seconds on this one. But <laughs> I, I get reading it. You're reading it. You're reading it, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, you, you shouldn't turn away is what I'm saying. No, no, no. I didn't. I mean, I, yeah, I specifically even went back to make sure that I caught some of their, some of the, uh, some of what their lines were. The only thing I wish they hadn't done was there is a last 15 minutes that completely departs from everything that we've been seeing and again explains goes into a vo that i was like what why the movie could have easily ended 15 minutes before this addendum 15 minutes 15 minutes you remember at the end after everything goes down yeah okay so that to me made it i was like you really don't need this Mm. and you know to me it was like and scene done I think it was important, and I, I, get you, I get your point, but I think it was important because it's about the space that they're occupying, and in, in this voiceover, we move from this large palatial space and realize that, no, the story we're now hearing is back in these little cramped quarters. It pulls us, it takes us back. It can, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but it, for a minute we think they're free, you know, it, yeah. but it turns out to be... Not what we think, which is much what this play, this piece is about. It's a subverting expectations. So you, I liked it. You forgave that part of it. I okay. did forgive it. I did forgive it. Got it. I was actually kind of surprised when it happened in, in a pleasant way. Huh. Well, let's go to read it. And this is Parasite by, am I saying this right? Bong Joon-ho and Jin Won-han? That sounds right. Bong Joon-ho, Jin Won-han. Okay. Yeah. And uh, let's see. Um, you know, we didn't go through and read them all before, but that's all right. We're going through oh, them now. Would you do that really quickly? Oh, sure. I'm so sorry. You're being I, very bad Oscar podcast people. I'm sorry. Well, you know, why should this year be like any would other like year? would like to say right? we are all completely sober. <laughs> Which is Actually, we really are disappointing sober. at this point. We are right. sober. Since we didn't say this at first, we'll say it now. The best original screenplay nominees are Ryan Johnson for Knives Out. Noah Baumbach for Marriage Story, Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson-Cairns for 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino, and Parasite by Bong Joon-ho and Jin Won-han. Thank you. Thank you. So let's read from Parasite. Uh, Okay. So, oh, let's see. I'll read Ki-jong. Would you read Chong-suk? Sure. And would you read Kitek? And I hope I yes. said all that right. Oh, and um, also, whoa, let's I can see. read the. 
the direction because Key Tech only has one line. Okay, go for it. All right. The family turns to see a drunk man teetering toward the semi-basement window. Their faces slowly fill with dread. How many times did I tell you we need to put up a no urinating sign? I'll make them want to do it even more. It's, it's psychologically. Go yell at him or something. It's not the right timing. The drunk man hasn't unzipped his pants, still hovering uncertainly in the dark corner. I need to catch him in the act. Isn't it effing obvious? Just kick him out. I hate this place. Okay, so we, it was a little tough to read, but Indeed. Well, <laughs> for was, us. There was four characters. Yeah, it's like, my bad. <laughs> but you guys get it, right? Like this idea that, you know, there's this family and they're looking out their window at a man about to pee right outside of their window. And just the fact that they all have these different points of view about it. And, you know, it, it, it makes, it sort of plunges you into their lifestyle. And, uh, and it sets up yeah. the, the classism of the whole movie. I mean, they yes. are at one level. The person who's about to urinate outside their window is at a lower level than them even, even yeah. though they're pretty low level. Yes. And so, you know, from the very beginning, they established this whole class structure throughout the movie, which is, I think is wonderful. So, okay, so yours was Marriage Story. Yep. Yours was Parasite. Mine was, if I was going to vote, it would be Parasite as well. I really loved Parasite. But um, I will... Let's, let's just talk about... Uh, I'm going I'm to talk about this movie because I think both of you hate it. Um, and it is uh, 1917 by Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Carnes. Um, I, I loved it as a film, as a, as a screenplay. I wasn't sure if that would, you know, if, if it would be the screenplay since it's so much the filming of it. But when I looked at the screenplay, I was like, woof. It beautifully describes mm. everything that we go into, and you'll see an example of this. Mm. Um, I really love the simplicity of the story, watching these two guys have to get from one place to another. I know there was a filming trick that either people loved or they hated it, um, but I just, it, it, it really, to me, it was, it was compelling. Um, I don't know, though, and if you just read the screenplay, whether you'd feel the same way, whether it's the movie or whether it's the screenplay. I don't know. But I know that you guys didn't like it. So that's, that's not what, true. No, that's no? not true at all. Really? I'll let Brian go first if he has something well, to say. Well, yeah, I would say it's probably my least favorite of the scripts um, because I did have a problem with the way it's told. I, I found it problematic from a pacing standpoint. I, you know, I know the whole idea of this, and it's not a spoiler, it's one long, it's the illusion of one long continuous take following these two soldiers through the trenches, etc. But I felt that it created a lot more problems than than the, any kick that it might have created. There's a scene in a, in a bunker underneath there where it worked like gangbusters. There's a scene with a plane crash that was terrific, but there were lots of other times that I felt like I really found myself distracted and a little bored, wow. to be honest with you. I, I, and I felt like the problem was this choice to just make this long take. And uh, I, it just, I felt the pacing, the story was very episodic. It's simple, but it's also episodic. And you need to have a bit more variety in pacing, in my opinion, that this choice hamstrung. Hmm. That's, that was my take. Well, I would start from, like, I don't know 
whose idea it was for the one continuous shot. I know it, that the writer and director, are the, the, or the director is also one of the writers, right? It's, it's, it was Sam Mendes' idea, and he got it from watching his kid playing a video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he decided was, to yeah. do it in that way. And I think that is kind of interesting. It is, it's, it's World War I made accessible because it looks and feels like a video game. So either you're going to lean into that or you're going to go, no, 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 that's not for me, I think. Well, first of all, I'm a WW1 buff. I uh-huh. like history with World War I. But mm-hmm. that being said, it, I, I give a lot of kudos for a screenwriter who probably had to, who came in with that challenge. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a huge challenge to be, you know, look, this has to be one continuous shot. So it's got to feel, you got to keep it going as much as you can one shot. Like, I think that's a lot. I give a lot of kudos to someone who was given that challenge and did this well. Um, as far, I mean, I, th- I thought the movie played off as a lot of interesting set pieces or vignettes that were kind of tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, personally speaking, I just didn't, I didn't feel the punch at the end, which I was kind of hoping to have. And, and, it, and But no, I like this movie quite a bit. It deserves all the accolades it's getting. So let's read from that. I just thought the technology might have gotten in the way a little bit with it. Ah, this is, that was your segue. That was You've my been segue. waiting for that one. I guess. Now the foreshadowing just feels, I don't know, terrible. <laughs> where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Here we go. Okay. Brian Pope of the Silky Voice. All righty. Go for it. Schofield goes first, crouching low, moving faster now, picking his way toward a hole in the earth and then jumps directly into the old sap trench. Blown out and neglected, it is now little more than a ditch, but it offers a stretch of cover. Schofield checks his wounded hand. It pulses blood. He feels as if he is being watched. He looks around. Next to him is the body of a German soldier, face down in the mud. Rats are on the corpse, feasting. Come on, that's yeah. some pretty stuff right there. Ooh. Yeah, baby. But like the way that this is formatted is five different paragraphs with him crouching low and moving faster, then the jump into the trench, then um, what the trench looks at like being blown out and neglected and not offering cover, then checking that wounded hand and like sensing somebody behind him, and then new paragraph it's a dead soldier. So it works down the page very well to keep you in, in the beats of the action. So uh, check it out, you guys. Um, all right, so let's talk about what... Well, I, before we go to what we didn't like, I think there's one that we all three of us did like but just didn't make our favorites list, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's Knives Out? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That would be my number two. Okay. All right. Knives Out, was, it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a, a romp, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's a great Hollywood entertainment, but it's smart. It's sophisticated. It's quirky. Mm-hmm. It's just got a lot of stuff going for it. I'm a, I grew up reading Agatha Christie Mysteries, so I appreciated how Ryan Johnson you know, was honoring a lot of the tropes of that genre, but he also you know, upended a number of them at key points. And so it was a real pleasure to watch, mm-hmm. I thought. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't check the script for this, and I wish I had before, uh, before we did this, but one of the interesting things as far as from a writing perspective that they did in this movie is that they got, they got a lot of exposition out during the interviews. But the way it's filmed, 
like the first person you interview can't like the 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 sixth person you interview can't say necessarily something bad about the first person you interviewed and then go back and have her defend it. Mm-hmm. So I loved that they, I'm assuming they didn't make any mistakes on this. Don't, don't let me down, Mr. Johnson. Um, but <laughs> I loved how that had to be very intricate. Like you had to set that up very nicely so that the first person sends something to the third person in the interview and then they question him on that or her. I don't mm-hmm. remember what order. So I, I thought that was a tricky spot for this and they did it wonderfully. And they got a lot of information out in a very fun way. I could have used one more twist. I was waiting. Mm. Um, and I guess the fact that there wasn't what I thought the twist would be is part of the surprise of it. I don't know. But uh, yeah, there's a little part of me that was like, but I, but I did enjoy it for the reasons that you guys are saying. You know, the Agatha Christie stuff, the way that they put the puzzle together, like you said. Um, this has nothing to do with screenwriting, but I wish on a casting level they'd been braver and that the guy playing the detective was playing... I'm sorry, the, the guy playing the policeman was playing the main investigator and that the investigator was playing the policeman. Um, and I wish I had the casting at my fingertips. It's, uh, you know, I, okay, so, so. You're talking about Daniel Craig? Right, Daniel Craig. And Lakeith Stanfield. Thank you. Gosh, who, you know what? Maybe you don't need technology because it just lives in your brain, Brian Pope. That's right. Okay. You seriously just can't live in an argument, can you? You can't hold tight. You I just know. just got to bend right over I with know, that. I know, but I'm very impressed. Okay, <laughs> so I wish that Lakeith had had Daniel Craig's part and that Daniel Craig had had his part, and I think it would have been more interesting. You could really reinvent that genre. I realize what they're trying to do for Daniel Craig is give him a new franchise that's uh, less active than James Bond. I get that. I know he's the bigger star, but I think it still would have been more interesting with that switch casting, which has nothing to do with writing. No, I, I agree. And if it's any consolation, I actually saw a screening where the director spoke and Daniel Craig was the reason the movie was able to get made. Mm-hmm. Basically, he helped secure financing. So Got I'm it. sure that helped persuade. Yes. So, but yeah, I agree. I think that, that would have been a very interesting choice. Now, would you guys, you've, you've heard that this might be turned into a franchise and stuff. Would you go see Knives Out too? Oh, I'll see anything Ryan Johnson writes. Yeah? Yeah. What yeah. else has Ryan Johnson written? I didn't write well, it he, down. He, he wrote uh, The um, Last Jedi, the, the second new Star Wars movie, the one that uh, people complained about. Okay. But I loved. Okay. Um, he did um, Looper. With, oh, I like uh, Looper. And then, uh, was it Brick? Yeah. Oh, Brick, and right. Mike was the one that turned me on to Brick back in the day, right? Back in the day. And I showed, I showed a clip that you found for me for years in class as a result. Just saying. I know talent when I see it. <laughs> okay, so let's read. I know talent, out. but I hang out with beauty. Oh, very good, Thank Mike. you, Michael. That yeah. was intended for you too, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every year, we, you know... I say, I, forget it, and then Mike just woos me back. I, I would, I'm trying, I don't, like, this is a bit of a, I'm going to hopefully not make this a spoiler, because first of all, I, just so you know, every year when we do this, I always pick my mom-approved movie, because uh-huh. my mother is, my mother is like, the last good movie they made was Gone with the Wind. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, well, <laughs> easy. Um, 
so that was the one that I took my mom to was Knives Out. Before did, did even she knowing, love it? she she liked it quite a bit. It uh-huh. wasn't. I mean, she really would prefer like old school Agatha Christie for sure. Yeah. But one of the things I loved about this is that I'm going to try and do this without making it a spoiler because I don't think it is. Is that the person who is the main suspect becomes the Watson in this, which oh, I thought I was thought a that. brilliant twist in that, like, oh, like the person who is closest to, the second closest to this investigation in a way is who we all think is guilty. And, and I, I think that's great. Well, all right. That is a good point. That is a nice Pilar Alessandra on the page twist if I've ever seen one. There you go. Hadn't thought of it. Okay, so I will read Fran and uh, Mike, would you read the scene direction? I will when I catch up. Let me see. Oh, sorry. Everybody else moved. I'm sitting here just yammering. There we go. Okay, this is All page right. one. All right. Interior. Harlan Thumby's study, Dawn. A cramped attic study, every shelf cramped with curios. The door swings open and Fran sees... Harlan Thrumby, himself, 85 years old, slung across a white leather daybed, throat slit, drenched in blood, very much dead. Fran's tray slips out of her hands for a second. Shit. That was great. I, I, I love throat slit, drenched in blood, very much dead. I love that, and just the staccato quality of that. And then, also, we've got the comedy at the end. So we've got, you know, horror, thriller, blah, comedy, right? And mm-hmm. that's what this is, right? It's those thriller moments with comedy punchlines. Very nice. Like, if this won for best screenplay, I'd, I'd be fine with it because I thought it was very well done. It's just, it's almost like, a, I hate to say take points away, like my points count, but it's like, it's such an entertaining movie that it's like, wow, this is, this is easy to like. This is an easy to like movie. It won't win for yeah. it. I would like it to. Uh, any of, I mean, any of the ones that we just talked about, I'd be okay with it winning. But the one that will probably win. <laughs> wow, nice segue. That's a good one. Yeah, is for me, my least favorite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, I know. First, I beat up on Scorsese. Now I'm beating up on Tarantino. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I love and respect many of their early movies but just because somebody has a name doesn't mean they don't get lazy and once upon a time in hollywood was you know it was fun we sat there in one of those comfy theaters and we just let like the random cool movie pour over us even as it made no sense at all and we enjoyed it but if one of my writers submitted that script, somebody would be all over them. We have a bromance between two guys, and the only points of conflict, one is a fantasy sequence, so we don't even know if it happened, and was just an excuse, really, to bring in Bruce Lee. And then another is told to us at the end of Act 2, in voiceover, without that even being a conceit of the movie, right? And just goes, oh, yeah, so this thing happened where we went to this place, and then we got in a fight, but then we made up. Okay, and now back to the movie. I was like, could you be a little lazier? So, so yes, I, as a screenplay, it drives me to drink. As a film, I enjoyed it, and I will 
you know, just drink a lot when it wins for best screenplay because it will. So uh, what do you have to say, you guys? Did you well, like it? I, I'm mostly in agreement with you. I enjoyed it while I was watching it, you know, the, the nostalgia of the era. For, for me, the only time where I felt any real stakes or tension was the scene in the ranch where where the stuntman goes out there and it's, you know, the Manson's the Manson family is, is basically yeah. taken up residence at this abandoned former studio lot or ranch or something and that was creepy and unsettling and it got me actually involved in the movie and then that was pretty much it until the very end um otherwise it was just you know a day in the life of uh aging movie star and his stuntman right right and 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 that that scene itself would have been a great little short there were all these these little movies within it you know, mm-hmm. none of it like in strung together in a really cohesive way. But these tiny little movies that are like, well, I enjoy that. I enjoy that. It has nothing to do with anything, but it works. What about what about you? I, it's one of those things where I at the end of the movie, I couldn't help but wonder like, well, you know, if I weren't living in L.A. anymore, uh-huh. I probably would think this is super cool. Like, I bet they're all doing that right now, even <laughs> though it's late 1960s. But I'm like, but when you're here, and I, I had a great appreciation for the filming of it, but as far as the story goes, I didn't really I didn't really know what story I was telling. It was once, a, you know, it's in the title, but other than that, it's like, well, I don't, what are we driving at here? Where are we going? And I don't really know if if the two main characters being Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, I, I guess I care where they go afterwards, but maybe I do, maybe I don't. I, I just didn't. Uh, it's a. I think both Tarantino and Scorsese are really allowing themselves to indulge, mm-hmm. and this goes back to something like Wolf of Wall Street or so the Hateful Eight. Um, and you, I, I think you're either in it or not. Django Unchained, you know, it just seems like they're not trying to make concise movies. They're they're just allowing themselves to do what they like. Oh, and they still have people. Yeah. You know, again, they're they're worshippers. You know, um, so yes, it will win, win original screenplay. I I get mad at the Oscars because I don't think that they pay enough attention to this category in terms of what the category actually means. I think they give a fan favorite the award or a critical favorite, the award when they're not going to give it best screenplay or best director. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, just give it best screenplay. <laughs> and it's like, no, the, you know, there's, there's some storytelling that really goes into a best screenplay. I have to tell you something. I, I'm, without naming names, I was watching this movie and I started going with the, the reinvention at the end of, of history. Mm-hmm. I had to go back in my files and years and years and years ago, I had a client who had reinvented that particular thing in history wow. in with a with a different character and i felt so bad because you know he was probably watching this going but i had that idea you know and it's like it's something usually when somebody has similar ideas it's like i'm like well you execute it differently and it's like no that's such a specific mm-hmm. thing so 
If you're listening, I'm sorry. I felt bad too when I when I we recognize you. <laughs> yeah, is what we're saying. Yeah, right now. I just thought felt like I, out yeah, of all, I, and you read a lot. I do. So I mean, for you to remember that, I is do. I well, it was it was original, and I hope that he's written lots and lots of other things. So it when he watches it, he, he doesn't freak out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, okay, so did we go through everything? Knives Out, Marriage Story. Oh, we didn't read. We didn't read from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and the reason why is because that is the one script you cannot get your hands on. Interesting. Every year when we do this, I can't get my hands on a Tarantino script. He's very good at, at you know keeping that from whatever you know internet base it goes into. Um, and you know, got to respect that, but I would love to have read it so we could get that Tarantino flavor in here. Is there any movie that you wish had been on this list? That was overlooked this year. I am going to immediately jump out as far as, and again, this is more from a writing perspective, in how much appreciation I had for the movie Rocket Man. And the reason for that was primarily how beautifully and how creatively they handled the transitions. Some of them were the actual songs themselves. There's a song when he's on his way to the hospital dying, and it's this whole song and choreography. Another very key moment to me is he, being Elton John, he is on stage at the Hollywood Bowl, I presume, um, because I think he was in his Dodgers uniform uh, at that time. And he is, at least the idea is, he is coked out of his head. Like, he is doing some hardcore drugs, and he's on stage, and he's taking a bow, and he's happy, and you see a, a plane flying high above, and he takes off like a rocket, into the sky and hits the plane and then there's a quick cut and it's like he wakes up on the plane. And to me, I just thought that is probably how that kind of cocaine rage feels. Like the last thing I remember, I was on stage on the Hollywood Bowl and now I'm waking up and I'm on a plane. Like to me, I just thought those kinds of trans- transitions were fantastic in that film. It's a great film. Too. I mean, it's a, it's a great musical film. And I was I was very thankful. How long do you think before it hits the stage? Because they're they got to be making it a stage musical, right? Um, I don't know. Oh, sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna place know. you know I'd place money on that one. Brian, what was what was um, one that was overlooked for you? you? Know, I, I don't know if you saw this, but there was this movie that I, I don't know that got much traction called Queen and Slim. It was uh, mm-hmm. it was kind of like the Black Bonnie and Clyde. Movie. It was written by a woman, Lena Waithe. Yeah, and directed by a woman. And one of the, I, I was really surprised at how different it felt. I, it was a very different movie than I expected going in. I expected a lot more. I don't know, Bonnie and Clyde action. It was much more contemplative, if you will. And it was. Uh, I thought it was a very successful. You know, it got me very involved because it it starts out like at a, a traffic stop where they are you know, basically pulled over by this couple who are on a first date or pulled over by a cop, a racist cop. And long story short, he gets, the cop gets shot and they go on the run. And that's how the movie starts. So it's not a spoiler. And, you know, all these things that happen from that point on, people trying to hide them. And just, it's a, it's an unusual way of telling the story. And I, I was curious because it was written and it was directed by a woman. And it just felt like the sensibility of this particular 
woman or these women was, was very evident. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like a man would have made this movie into something completely different and not nearly as interesting. So anyway, I recommend it. I don't know if it's, you know, the best script of the year, but I highly recommend it. Well, this year, the Oscars don't seem that interested in women. So, yep. yeah, because my favorite, I would actually even put this over um, JoJo, uh, is Booksmart. Oh, I yeah. loved Booksmart, and I'm so mad that it was overlooked, maybe because it was toward the beginning of the year, and mm. sometimes... You know, I was about to say, I forgot that it was this year. I, yeah. I almost thought it was last year. These, these the, you know, movies that are usually get the Oscar nods are are placed on per, on purpose around November and December, right? It used um, to be October. It's getting later and yeah, later. Yeah, it is. It is, because everybody can catch up and, mm -hmm. and Netflix and things like that. So Booksmart uh, was a screenplay by Emily Halpern, Sarah Haskins, Susan, Susanna Fogel, and Katie Silberman. And... You know, you might go like, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's about high schoolers and parties and stuff. But their approach to what teenagers are really like now, how smart they are, um, the kinds of adventures they find themselves in, the kind of choices that they have to make in every single scene is it has its clever moments. I just I just love it. And I wish it wasn't overlooked no i agree it's wonderful it's what super bad should have been i mean super bad felt like a movie written by adults about how they think kids are but this felt like a movie written by kids about mm -hmm. how their life actually is i thought it was terrific the two young actresses are fantastic so so put these three movies on your on your list and then of course i we know that you guys have your favorites for for the oscars and you might completely disagree with us and that's okay you know again this is just a kitchen table conversation here at on the page it's like the view for oscars <laughs> no not really no no okay one of us is whoopee <laughs> it's the only i think it's the only one i still remember <laughs> um where can do you guys are you on social media do you want anybody to get in touch with you <laughs> No. You can find me on my Netflix streaming account now. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we look for this short film? Well, is it is it going to be coming out? Uh, you know, I'm not sure what the end uh, result is going to be. I'm assuming it's going to eventually make its way to festivals and things of that nature. But, you know, I, I can certainly let you know when it's screened, if and when it's screened. Yes, please. I just don't know... I have no timetable for it. Yes. And Mike, are you on Twitter or anything like that? I'm on Twitter, yeah, at closing speed. It's closing underscore speed. Okay. Which was mostly about horse racing back in the day. Okay. But now, you still, you know, you still... Twitter is like one of those things that I'm just not quite sure what I'm going to do with. Mm -hmm. It's just, it sits there and there you have it. I think Twitter is one of those things that America's not really sure what they're, what they're going to do with. Yeah. Um, you can go... To Brian's go crazy, he's going throw it out, and then he shook his his yeah. fist at a cloud. Get off my lawn! <laughs> um, you can go to onthepage.tv to check out classes here at the studio in LA, but also online. All the major classes have an online option now and uh, it, live video conferencing. So you don't have to miss a thing. Um, the next one is March. First, for the live one-day TV class, you will learn everything about 
groundbreaking story on your pilot, but also how to pitch your series, looking at season arcs, developing your cast, etc. At the end of the day, Carol Kirshner comes in and talks to you about the business of TV, including selling and staffing and getting represented. And then we do it all over again as the online video conference version in four parts, March 8th and every Sunday after that for four Sundays. So please go to onthepage.tv and check it out. And I want to thank you guys. I always have so much fun doing this with you. This is a pleasure. You know, I get grumpy about the movies and I'm like... I'm not even going to do it this year because I'm so grumpy about the movies. And then, but then I get to hang out with you guys. Yeah, but you also always start grumpy, and then when we start, it's the same with you always. Like <laughs> you get so excited and juiced, and like, oh, this is great, and oh, did you see how they wrote this? And this is fantastic, and, so, and yeah. suddenly your appreciation for a particular movie increases. Yeah, yeah. that's what when this is about. When it's on the page, it, that always makes me appreciate it, even if. I was grumpy as I watched it. And can I just say, I think this is one of the first years where you and I did not have a significant disagreement. No. No, no, no. Not at all. So. Now we just have to get you on uh, streaming. Okay. <laughs> all, right. all right. Thanks again to Mike Musa. Thank you so much to Brian Pope. Thanks to all of you for listening, and have a good writing week. 